Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. And I've already mentioned these in a different context this morning in our Bible lesson. But the Word of the Lord says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I want you to notice, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse number 3, and I'm not going to read verse number 3 other than just to say that the Bible said, and God said. Now, I just want to throw this out for your consideration. And in a lot of cases, a lot of times, before God speaks, there's going to be a moving of the Spirit of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. In many cases, before God speaks, there is first a moving of the Spirit of the Lord. How many want God to speak? Oh, we all want God to speak. But we have to understand many times God is a God of pattern. And many, many times the Spirit of God will move before God utters a word. And so it was even in the beginning in creation. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the, of the waters. And then God said. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. From, from its inception on the day of Pentecost, the apostolic church has been characterized by the moving of the Spirit of God. And I, I want to insert this at, at the outset, and I, I want you to hear me in the context of which I speak this morning. There is a difference between a move of God and a move of human emotions. There is a difference between a move of God and a move of human emotions. Just because there is a moving of human emotions is not always an indication that there's a move of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. I could clap my hands at a rock concert doesn't mean that God's in the place. I, I can lift my hands and I can, I can dance at a rock concert. 
Doesn't mean the Spirit of God's moving. I can lift my voice in a shout in any context in which I choose. And that does not mean that the Spirit of God is moving. And if there is ever a time that the church needs to know the difference between a move of God and a move of emotions, it's now. I, I go to venues and I, I, see, I see people doing all of these kinds of things. And, and, and if, we're not, if we're not careful, we, we can worship praise singers more than we worship God. We can worship preaching more than we worship God. Because there's one thing that Brother Morgan said last week at Landmark that stuck with me. He said, if we're not careful, preaching becomes a form of entertainment instead of a projection of what thus saith the Lord. So... We need to understand the difference between a move of, of human emotion and, and a move of God. Because again, I've been to places and venues that, you know, that people were just rocking the house down. But when I left, I really could not say definitively that it was a move of God that was there. But by the same token... I heard Billy Cole years ago make, make the statement and, and use this as an example. And, and he said that he, he was in a meeting, and I, I don't know where, but he said, I was sitting on the platform and with other ministers, and, and, uh, uh, and he said that Brother Kilgore got up and, and he made the statement. He said, I, I feel God in this place. And he said, up until that point, there had been absolutely nothing happened in that service. And Brother Kilgore said, I feel God in this place today. He said, I looked over at the minister sitting beside me and I said, where? He said, but within 10 minutes of Brother Kilgore making that statement, 10 people had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. See, there's a difference between the move of God and the move of your emotions. Just because your emotions are moving doesn't mean God is moving. Amen? I know people that you can just tell them a sad story and, and they begin to cry. It doesn't mean God's moving. It just means that their emotions have, have been moved. But, but, but the, the church, the apostolic church, has been characterized by the moving of the Spirit of God. But by contrast... The characterization of denominal movements have 
been more sedate in their mode of worship and in even in some aspects of their relationship with Jesus Christ. There, there should be no reason for things to change in the apostolic church. Every service should be open to the moving of the Spirit of God. Amen. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about God intervening because an intervention it is a word that that carries with it the connotations of of the idea of interruption god should not have to interrupt our services to 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 accomplish what his will is to accomplish amen there there should be such a a sensitivity in in the people of god that that we expect god to move when we come to the house of the lord and, and the moving of God really doesn't have anything to do with my emotion. But it has everything to do with my, my expectation, my praise, and my worship to God. Amen. Amen. So that the Spirit of God should never need to interrupt a service to do its work. I want to tell you from my standpoint, the Spirit of God is welcome anytime we come into this place to do whatever it needs to do. Because I understand a moving and a working of God's Spirit can accomplish so much more than you and I could if I could, if I could manipulate your emotions. By just the words that I say and, and the things that I do. So, so how do we have a move of God's Spirit? How do we accomplish that? Are, are there things that come into play? Or, or are we just at the mercy of God for a, a moving as if God you know, d- decides or determines I'm, I'm going to move there today and I'm not going to move there today and I'm not going to do anything there and whatever. It is it is it left up to the Lord or are there things that that can come to play in your in my life that that would guarantee that we have a touch of the Lord every time we come to the house of God. Listen, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not talking about emotion. I'm not talking about running the aisles every service. My God, we don't run the aisles any service. But I'm not talking about running the aisles every service. I'm not talking about tearing the house up. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about kicking pews over or, or walking on the, on the backs of the chairs. I'm talking about a move of God that when we walk out of this house, every one of us or at least some of us that need that specific move or touch of God could leave this place saying, you know what? I was touched by the hand of the Lord. I walked into that place this evening and I was in turmoil in in my mind, but I'm leaving with a clear mind right now with the joy of the Lord. I'm telling you, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place today. God wants to do more for us and among us that we can sometimes expect Him to do. But I'm telling you, God needs to be here every time we lift a hand. There ought to be a move of God. Every time we lift our voice in praise, there ought to be a move of God. 
Every time we worship Him, there ought to be a move of the Holy Ghost among us. So, how does this happen? Is it the luck of the draw? No, I do believe that there are some keys that depend upon you and I, because I don't believe this is dependent upon the Lord. I know God. I know God is, is omniscient. I know He's ever, He knows all things. I, I know He's omnipresent. I know He, he feels space everywhere at one time. I know that God is omnipotent. He has all power. I, I understand that. But I do not believe for one moment that when God's people gather together to worship God, that God looks down and it's almost like a, a game of chance or, or, or any, meeny, miny, mo. I, I'm going to move here and I'm not going to move over there. And, and I'm going to touch somebody here, but I'm not going to touch somebody over there. Or, or, or I'm, you know, bless their hearts down in Selma. I, I'm not going to stop by there this morning. No, a thousand times no. I, I do believe that there are things that you and I can do to help us to expect a move of God every time we gather in the house of worship. And oh, how we need a moving of the Holy Ghost today. Amen. We, we don't need the words of men's wisdom. Amen. That's what Paul said when he, when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He, he said, my speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it is with the demonstration of the Spirit and the power so that your faith should not stay Stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's where our faith has got to be today. In that manifestation, in the demonstration of the moving of the Spirit and power of God. Because I can use flowery words. I could, I could work my thesaurus to death by looking for just the right word to speak at the right time. And it not do one thing for you that the Spirit and the power of God can do. So again, how do we have a move of the Spirit? Number one, number one, I do believe that you have to have a spirit of expectancy. When you come to the house of God, you need to expect God to do something. Amen. 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 You need to expect God to do something. You need to expect God to move. If you need a touch in your life or your body or your spirit, when you need to expect when I get to the house of God. I'm telling you right now that there's something that's going to happen. I believe it. I expect it. I'm not trying to speak anything into existence. I've just got faith enough in God that when the people of God gather together and they begin to praise and magnify the name of God, that the Spirit of God is going to become active in that place. And I'm going to leave there with the touch, with the move of God that I so desperately need today. You expect it. I believe that there is, there is significance behind the fact that David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of God. 
Why? Because I believe David fully expected something to be there. The courses of singers and, and, and the ministers and everything, the choirs, you know, all of the instruments that was in, in the house of God in David's day. I believe David believed fully. When I get there, oh, there's going to something happen in the house of God. In Psalm 72, Asaph wrote, and he said, my foot well nigh slipped. He said, almost just sunk into hell without God because I looked at the ungodly and I saw how they prospered. I saw how they lived well and I saw the righteous man of how he was desperate. He said, but when I got into the sanctuary, when I got into the house of God, he said, I began to understand then that the wicked would burn up with his prosperity and I knew that God had not left his people. Asaph expected to get something in the house of God. So you expect. You have a, 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 a spirit of expectancy. If you don't expect a moving of the spirit of God, guess what happens? You got it? Nothing. Nothing happens. But if you want to have a move... Of the Spirit, you must come to the house of God expecting something to happen. Webster said, when you expect, you look forward to. You look forward to something. Amen. Anybody look forward to the house of God? Anybody look forward to gathering together? You know, with people of like precious faith and worshiping God collectively in spirit and in truth. Amen. Webster says you look forward to something. Another way he put it is you become pregnant. Amen. You become pregnant with the idea and the desire that when I get to the house of God, amen, God is going to meet me there and God's going to do what I need. You consider it probable or certain. You consider something reasonable, due or necessary. I, I, I consider it necessary for God to move when we come to the house of the Lord. Amen. So when you come to the house of God, you should look forward to a moving of the Spirit of God. When the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost... Those people in the upper room were not there grudgingly. That they were not there just to see what could eventually happen. See, the Lord had already told them, You tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You, you get to Jerusalem, and when you get there, you stay there. You stay there until something happens. The, the expected, they expected to experience the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. They expected the Holy Ghost to fall. Amen. They didn't go there. Amen. And just say, well, it might or, or it could or if it's a will of God. I'm telling you, the promise of God is when two or three are gathered together in my name. He said, there. I will be in the midst of them. They expected something to happen. They weren't there haphazardly. 
Luke said, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That This is the promise that Jesus Christ Himself made to the disciples before His ascension. Why, why, why would they gather in the upper room and doubt that the promise would be fulfilled? What effect would it have had? Why would they gather and not expect? Matthew records the words of Jesus, and I've already quoted, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now I understand the context of Matthew eight uh, or Matthew eighteen is not God's people coming into the house of God to worship Him. The context of Matthew 18 has to do everything with church discipline. And the Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name to deal with disciplinary measures in the church. I'm going to be right there in the midst of them. But let me tell you something. The application of that is, if Jesus is there when church discipline is needed and necessary, how much more would Jesus be among us when we've come with the purpose of praising and worshiping God and expecting a move of the Holy Ghost, of the Spirit of God. Amen. We need to expect God to be here every time we gather. So we we expect. You must have a spirit of expectancy. Secondly, you you have to you you've got to prepare for a move of the Spirit of God. You've got to get ready for it to happen. You've got to prepare for it to happen. I, I was I was Headed to Athens yesterday morning. I, I got almost to Birmingham and called, and I called my mom. And so I, I said, what are, you, what are your plans for today? And she said, oh, I hadn't planned anything. I don't intend to get out, go anywhere or anything like that. She said, I've just, I, I've just got to the point that I use my Saturdays to get ready for Sunday. And I said, well, I can't think of anything better to do on Saturday and use it to get ready for Sunday. You've got to prepare yourself for a move of God. And can I tell you something? That preparation don't happen the moment you walk through those doors. Even with pre-service prayer, and I understand pre-service prayer is, is vital. We, we, we have got to have it. We're not going to stop it. Pre-service prayer is, is vital, but pre-service prayer is not where I get myself ready to have a move of God. Oh no, a thousand times no. Amen. I, I get ready at home. I prepare at home. Amen. On Wednesday, my mind all day long is on the service on Wednesday night. We got to pray. We got to talk to God. We got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. We've got to have the unadulterated Word of God to penetrate our hearts in our lives. I can't wait to get to the house of God to prepare. It's too late then.
need to get ready. There's got to be a time of preparation before you get to the house of God. Before you enter into the presence of the Lord. My mind goes this morning to the high priest on the day of atonement. When it was, when it was his lot to enter behind the veil with the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle that blood on the on, on, the, on the altar, on, the, on that mercy seat. That high priest had to go through a cleansing. He had to go through a cleansing ritual. It didn't happen 15 minutes before he was to step behind the veil. Because you know what? If he's not, if he's not right in the presence of God, amen, something's going to happen behind that veil. He had to get ready before he entered into the presence of the Lord. And if we want to move of God, we, we've got to, we, we got to know, we've got to prepare for a move of the Spirit of God. And if we're not careful in this modern day with so many things to do and so many places to go and so many things to see, we, we can spend our waking hours following the pleasures of the flesh. And then we drop in the house of God 15 minutes ahead of time and, and think that I can prepare and get rid of of all of that stuff, amen, and get ready for a move of the Spirit of God. Honey, it's not going to happen. Amen. You can lay out at night, all night, amen, until midnight on Saturday and say, well, I'll pray when I get to the house of God. Can I tell you, it's too late then. you got to get ready for a move of God before you need the move of God in your life. You've got to prepare for a moving of the Holy Ghost. You got to get ready for it. You got to prepare for it. Years ago, uh, when I had places to hunt, time to hunt, I, I read an article, and I, I don't remember about what type of hunting it was. I, I do not recall. Too many years have passed. I, I do remember the, the essence of, of the article because, because the, the author of the article talked about preparation. Preparation to hunt. Planning to hunt. He said if you want to be successful in a hunt, you, you have to plan. And he said the first thing is you got to know your game. You got to know what you're going after. You know, you, you, chances are you're not going to step in those woods and, you know, and just by chance or luck of the draw, and I know it happens like this sometimes, you know, shoot, shoot a big game animal. You, you have to know your animal. You got to know your game. You know, and it usually happened like this with me. I'd go deer hunting, I'd see more squirrels than anything else. I go squirrel hunting, Brother Tim, and that's not deer season. I'm going to see more deer than I see anything else. I, I don't know how it works out that way. But, but, but he said, number one, you got to know your game. you you got to know it. you you got to know their body language. 
You you got to know what that white-tailed deer means when 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 that deer stamps one of its feet on the ground and and is looking intently. You you got to know what's happening when 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 that white tail lifts its tail and and shows all the white underneath. You got to know what's going on when those ears go in different directions and 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 everything. And you you got to know your game if you're going to be successful. You've got to plan and you've got to know your game you've got to prepare that's why I used to study I used to study the movements of a white-tailed deer I, I could tell you the time to move and get ready and the time not to move and get ready I tell you when when that deer's head is to the ground and it's feeding Typically, that's the time for you to make slight movements, but don't be fooled because that, that deer will fake you out. Amen. Brother Tim seen this, I'm sure, many, many times. That old deer would drop its head like it's feeding and give you a time to start shifting around, and all of a sudden that head's going to pop up and you're going to be in a crosshairs. And if you breathe hardly, you're going to hear something like this. Whoosh, boom. Am I right? You've seen it. I've seen it many times. I'm like, my Lord, I should have had better sense than to move like I should have known what it was doing. Study your game. Know your game, he said. Secondly, in preparation, he said, scout the area you're planning to hunt. Scout it. You got to know the terrain. You got to know where you are. Because, because I promise you right now, every deer in the county knows every tree on that plot. And you think you can go in there in the last minute and set up a ground blind. I don't care how camouflaged it may be. And you go in there in the last minute and says, this looks like a good place to hunt. And you set up a ground blind there. I'm going to tell you, every deer in the county is going to know that something has changed right here. I may not know what that is, but I'm going to tell you, if they even come in the vicinity, their attention's going to be on that right there. I know that's not a tree. That thing's not been there. You, you've got to scout. You've got to know where you are. And then the third thing, he said in preparation to hunt, is you got to practice your shooting. You got to practice. And, and practice I did. I stand tell you this morning without even, even considering whether it's a lie or not, I have never lost a deer that I pulled the trigger on. Ever. I've heard people say, well, you got somebody says they never lost a deer. They'll lie to you about other things. I'm telling you, I never lost a, a deer that I pulled a trigger on. Because I knew the animal. I know the weapon that I use. And I, and I know the ammunition. I know its trajectory. I, I know what I should be able to expect out of it. And I've practiced that. And practiced that. And practiced that. And practiced, and practiced, and practiced, and practiced. Not saying I've not had one to run. I have had, had one to run. 
that I had the blood trail. But I got him. I got him. I was in New Mexico several years ago hunting in those south southwest New Mexico desert mountains for that smaller variety of mule deer and I found one I wanted and 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 and, and he was right there on the on, on the edge of a of a cliff of a, a real deep deep rocky valley real deep and 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 that guide said you want him I said I, I think I'd like to have that one and he said well go ahead and take him he said but please I'm begging you, I beg you, don't let him run because if he runs, he's going to head straight downhill. And if he goes down there and dies, I've got to be the one to get him out. I said, so you want to, so what you're saying is you want me to drop him right where he stands. He was bedded down. I said, you want me to drop him right where he stands. He said, Oh, please, if you could ever do that, if you have ever done it in your life, I'm asking you to do it right now. He said, just wait. He knows we're here. He will stand up. But what you need to do is you need to take your shot before he takes his first step. I'm standing there. I've got my 270 ready. I'm standing there. All of a sudden, the hind end of that mule deer comes up. And I pull up my rifle. I get him in the crosshairs and all of a sudden, the front end comes up. And when that front end stretched out, I said, boom! And immediately that deer hit the ground. And that guy started dancing. He was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for not letting that. We walked up there at 107 yards standing off hand I clipped the spine of that mule deer how could you do that because I practiced my shooting I prepared I prepared to be successful and so so the 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 uh the the next suggestion though of the author really struck home and is probably one of the most important because he said, do everything that you can to prepare. You, you know your game. You scout the area. And third, you practice your shooting. And, and then when you have done all of that, and you've done everything that you can possibly do to prepare, he said, then you go to the woods with a good attitude. What's he saying? He's saying, Brother Thomas, when you've done everything that you can do for you to get ready, and you go to the woods with a good attitude, saying, you know what, I know my game. I know the area that I'm hunting. I practice my shooting. Now, I'm expecting. I'm expecting. I'm, I have to admit, I've spent many an hour in the woods and sitting on the side of a tree and sitting in ground blinds. I'll be honest with you, I just didn't expect anything. I thought, Brother Tim, I might as well just get up and go to the house. 
Well, my attitude today ain't nothing coming out anyway. You know, just to see if I've prepared myself. But he said, let me tell you. He said, when you do everything that you can do and you need to hit those woods with a good attitude, you're expecting something to happen. Amen. And I'm telling you right now, you need to be prepared for a move of the Spirit of God. You need to get ready. You need to read that Word before you get to the house. You need to pray without ceasing. You need to fast. You need to do everything you can to prepare. And then you get to church with a good attitude expecting God to move. Expecting something to happen. And again, your preparation must begin before you get to church. It's all too often some get to church just before service begins and I understand that. I understand sometimes that, you know, situations arise and, and we can't turn loose from work just when we would like to in, in every case. But what but the point I'm trying to make is that when when you when when it's time to go to the house of God, you should have already prepared yourself to be in the presence of God and for a move of God. Amen? I'm trying to move quickly. The third point is you've got to get flesh out of the way. You want a move of God? You've got to get on the altar. You've got to get flesh out of the way. You've got to get flesh out of the equation because the carnal nature is a killer of the move of the Spirit of God. So your flesh has got to be under control of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And sometimes there's just too much going on in, in our lives. There are too, too many things to attend to that I've already alluded to. Too many parties to go to and, and, and too many sporting events that we, that we need to go to and, and, and this and that and the other and all of this kind of stuff. And, and, and we come into the house of God and we're weary with flesh. But if we want to move of God, you got to get yourself out of the way so God can have free reign in every service. I have got to put myself on the altar and die out to the desires of my flesh. Why? Because I'm trying to get ready for a move of the Spirit of God. And I cannot stand in the presence of God in just any condition. I've got to get my flesh out of the way. Paul told the church at Rome, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, he said, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Paul nails it in a nutshell. If you're constantly involving yourself with with things of the flesh, then your flesh is in control. You're minding things of the flesh. But if you're after the Spirit, they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. And I want you to notice that both of those words, Spirit in this context, are talking about the Spirit of God. But they that are after the Spirit of God, they mind the things of the Spirit of God. 
What's he saying? You, you've got to get flesh out of the way. For to be carnally minded is death, Paul said. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. So then, they that are after the flesh cannot please God. That's why I say, church, if, you get, if you're trying to prepare for a move of the Spirit of God. You've got to get your flesh out of the way. Amen. God has got to have free reign. You've got to be under control of the Spirit of God. And so you must put your carnal problems behind you and focus on the problem solver to have a move of the Spirit of God. And, and then lastly, lastly, You've got, to end, you've got to eliminate pride that prohibits your worship. If you really, truly believe that Jesus Christ is King of kings and He's Lord of lords, and He's the only one to be worshipped, it's only your pride that prohibits you from worshiping God. Get rid of Eliminate pride. That's, that's going to happen on the altar. That's going to happen on the altar. When you start dealing with flesh, and you're going to have to deal with pride too that prohibits worship. And once pride has been eliminated, then you can come to the house of God and you can worship God freely. With no inhibitions. Listen, if I'm truly worshiping God, I'm not focused on who's here and who's not here. Amen? I'm not focused on whether you're worshiping or whether you're not worshiping. If I'm truly worshiping God, I don't care what part of the service it is. If I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost to worship God, I'm going to worship God. Amen? I can't. I have to eliminate the pride that would prohibit my worship of Jesus Christ. How many of you want to have a move of the Holy Ghost every time we come? Amen. Amen. I promise you, you work on, on these points that I brought to you this morning. You start coming to the house of God with the spirit of expectancy. And you prepare yourself to be in, in the presence of God. And you do this by getting your flesh under subjection. Getting it under control. And you eliminate the pride that, that will prohibit worship. And you begin to praise and worship God with everything. Let me, can, I, can I tell you something in, in, in the closing moments of this message this morning? A, a worship leader, a preacher, a pastor, an MC, however you want to title it, that's in charge of a service. They, they, they don't have to encourage praise. If it's true praise, ain't nobody having to say, oh, come on, church. Come on, folks, let's praise God now. If it's true praise, praise, I'm not having to cheerlead you into the presence of God. 
Sometimes I'm gonna, I think about getting these little old sticks of pom poms and bring, come on now, let's let's worship. Let's let's worship God now. Somebody, somebody give me a J, you know, somebody give me an E, somebody give me an S, you know, and 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 that's that's not it. Amen. I'm gonna tell you what true praise emanates from a heart, amen, that wants to glorify God. True praise is something that's not conjured up. Amen. True praise is something that's spontaneous. It's just there. Amen. I, I begin to praise Him. It's there. I don't have to work it up. I don't have to have somebody say, now let's praise God. And then we go through our little deal. What's next? What, what's next, preacher? Uh, let's praise Him, church. Next. It's almost like we're anticipating scene, different scenes of a show. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not an actor. I just believe that praise is not something that's worked up or conjured up or has to be encouraged Praise is spontaneous. Spontaneous. When we were in the Philippines, I'm going to tell you something right now. I was totally totally amazed. I came back changed forevermore about praise and worship to the Lord. Because those people, nobody had to step to the podium and say, okay, Folks, let's begin to praise the Lord. Oh no, they were praising God before service ever began. They were praying, magnifying and praising God before the piano ever hit the first chord. Or the drummer struck the snare the first time. Or the guitarist played the first chord. They were already praising God. How long did that praise and worship last? Until somebody stood up and said, Okay, folks. Okay, folks. You got to stop worshiping. I need to instruct you on some things. Listen to me. Listen, folks. Listen. Stop worshiping. Stop praising. I I need to instruct you. That's how long praise lasted. They had to shut them up for the service to progress. That's praise. That's worship. God moves. God moves. I'm telling you right now, in every service, you could feel and sense and witness powerful moves of the Holy Ghost. All across those buildings. Because somebody came with expectancy. Somebody came prepared. Somebody had gotten their flesh out of the way. And somebody had eliminated pride that would prohibit worship. And as a result of that, the Spirit of God sweep in those places and move in a mighty way. To such a degree... And when it came time for the big, the big conference, 
that was held in an open park. Open park. No, no covering or anything. My wife will attest to the fact <clears throat> there were people as far as you could see out across there. Those people began to praise and worship God. God began to move. The skies opened and it became a torrential downpour. I'm talking, I'm not talking about sprinkling. I'm talking about bona fide rain coming down. You know what? You didn't see people running for the cars. You didn't see people running for shelter, trying to get in the shelter. They're standing there, young and old, men and women and children alike, standing there at an estimated crowd of over 30,000 people. Torrential downpour, nobody leaves. They're standing out soaking wet, Sister Mary. They look like a bunch of little brown rats out there. You know, hair matted to their head, clothes sticking to their bodies, but they're worshiping and praising God in a torrential downpour. Amen. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder that they had revival as a result of that. It's no wonder why, because somebody came to that park ready to be in the presence of God. Somebody came expecting, somebody came having prepared themselves before they got there because nobody had to stand and say, Hey, Everybody, let's begin to magnify the Lord and people begin to worship. No, it's like in the church services. People begin to praise and magnify God before the first sound of any music or any kind of instruction. They understood I'm here for one thing and I'm here for one thing only and that's to worship Jesus Christ. I need Him moving in my life. Moving. We saw those little bitty mountain people. Those mountain people, little old, old short, short people. I'm talking about short. Little mountain. They wouldn't even sit in chairs. They come down and squat, squat down. I, I can't, I can't do like they did. They squat. I call it squatting on your haunches. I'm talking about they would get so low their backsides almost on the ground, but their 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 legs, you know, knees are up in in their chest. They're going to worship God. You know, get up. Somebody offers an old woman a, a seat, you know, and she won't even take she won't even take a seat. She goes back. And she squats down again. Gets up and begins to praise and worship the Lord. They expected God to move, and the result is God began to sweep in that outdoor park. Like the city of Manila probably had never experienced up until that point in time. But it's because people came together and they expected a move of the Holy Ghost. And God responded in kind. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning.